Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Or pre record on my count. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, roll A, fade up on A. Southern Miss to the top. You're tuned in to the Eagle Hour. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Eagle Hour on the Super Talk Radio Network. Bob Getty, Luke Johnson, coming to you from the First Bank Studios in Laurel and Hattiesburg. We're glad you're with us today, and we've got a full show for you. Graduate assistant football coach Carter Hankins on the show today. Kelly Sander joining us later. Patrick McGee from the Biloxi Sun Herald about to come on board. Opening segment sponsored by Dickie's Barbecue Pit, proud supporters of our show, and we're proud to say friends of ours as well. They cook great food seven days a week. You can always enjoy it uh, through the drive-thru, take-home, or in-house dining. However you choose to enjoy barbecue, just be sure it's Dickie's Barbecue. It's also Thursday, a rainy Thursday here in South Mississippi, but we go to our Good buddy on the Gulf Coast from the Biloxi Sun-Herald, Patrick McGee, as always. And, uh, Patrick, lots to go over with you in this segment, a uh, week away from football today. Uh, you told me before we go on the uh, before we went on the air that uh, theoretically they're going to allow 9,000 people in the Rock next Thursday night. You're not expecting a crowd quite that large. Tell us what you expect to see, Pat. Yeah, uh, 9,000 is, uh, you know, pretty much what they'd be able to top out when it comes to 25% capacity in the 36,000-seat stadium. Uh, and this could change as the season goes on, but early on this uh, season, really access is going to be given to people who own season tickets. And I think there is still a limited number of season tickets still to be sold, uh, but you can imagine a lot of these people, long-time season ticket holders, may skew a little to the older side, may feel safer. Uh, staying at home and watching the game on CBS Sports Network. So you have to take that into account. Uh, so it, and also, also take into account it's 8 o'clock kick on Thursday night. Uh, so I, I think you'll see, you know, a fair number of people, you know, season ticket holders, but some people will probably choose to stay home. Uh, they'll also have a 1,000 tickets uh, to distribute to students. I think they were still trying to relay info on how they were going to do that. Uh, but, you know, we may see a 1,000 students there. We'll wait and see on that. And uh, as far as the suites, you're going to see 50% capacity in the suites, uh, 25% in, say, club seating. So that, that's how it's all going to be you know, working. But really it comes down to there's going to be season ticket holders and some students who are going to be there at the football game. And, uh, you know, the idea was is that they you know, max out close to 9,000, but that was always just the ceiling. I, I don't think if you look at the way this is set up, it's going to be difficult to get 9,000 people in there. Uh, just you know, from a safety standpoint, everybody maybe feeling a bit safer watching at home. So that, that's just my take on the situation. How are they gonna make money doing this, Patrick? Uh, um, well, I mean, they're, they're going to have concessions there. Uh, it's going to be contactless uh, purchases uh, uh, made via you know, you know, just through uh, uh, credit cards, through uh, you know, Apple Pay and stuff like that. It's it's going to be you know revenue is going to be way down. I mean that's just just mm-hmm. the way it is. You know if they had a year to plan, they maybe could have found a better way to generate money. Maybe they could have renegotiated a, a TV contract and something. I don't know. Right. Uh, but it's going to, yeah it's going to revenue is going to be way down this season for football. 
All right, uh, Coach had a uh, press conference this morning. You've got, uh, I understand, a starting lineup for next Thursday night. Yeah, they uh, Jack Duggan just sent out the uh, depth chart uh, for uh, the first one of the season. You're always really interested interested to see what this looks like, and uh, even more so this week because heck, I, you know, no the minutes we need to be on the last practice. We're just being able to kind of take bits and pieces uh, here on you know what the uh, what we might expect and. It maybe don't buy into it too much because, you know, they don't want to give away too much. But usually I see a lot more, uh, you know, temp, you know, uh, you might have two guys battling a position or just add an or to it. But I really only see one or on here. And it's Trey Johnson and Kalik Washington at left tackle. I mean, I can go through this y'all, if y'all want, but I don't want to uh, uh, just ramble on. Just uh, tell me right. what y'all want it. All right, Luke, get in here and I'll let Patrick know what you'd like to hear about the lineup. Yeah, Patrick, I'm glancing at it too. Um thankful for uh for Jack sending that out. Um the really what stands out to me first and foremost um is the running back position. Um mm-hmm. Don Ragsdale listed as the starter. A lot of us thought that, you know, he would be like a bell cow back. Um mm-hmm. there's really four people on there, Frank Gore Jr. uh also on there. Uh I'm thinking running back's gonna be more of a uh, of a committee. Um, but surprisingly, at the wide receiver position, Jason Brownlee listed as a starter. He led uh, the JUCO nationally last year in touchdowns. And then Demarcus Jones on the other side. We don't see Dequan Bailey Brown. Uh, we don't see um, Ant- Antoine Robinson. Uh, but you do see Brandon Hayes, the true freshman from uh, from Oak Grove, that's back in Tim Jones' back. Wide receiver is pretty interesting. Yeah, I see. They've also got Tim Jones listed as punt returner, uh, D Baker and Don uh, Ragsdale as. Uh, kick returners and Briggs Bourgeois apparently has regained his kicking uh, duties uh, after sitting out last year with an injury. But yeah, I, uh, uh, one thing I kind of noticed is really Rashawn Mitchell is listed as second string at the at corner behind Eric Scott Jr. That's really a surprise because uh, Mitchell yeah. really you know, your own experience there. And uh, but at, at running back, I expect a by committee. Uh, but don't be fooled, you know, Frank Gordon's list is fourth on there, but he's, he, I don't think he's going to be fourth in taking order. Yeah, a couple more on the, uh, on the defensive side. Um, Todd Sykes uh, up front at nose tackle, Eric Kitchen at defensive tackle. A guy that we've kind of heard, and I don't know what you've been hearing, but, man, I've heard a lot about Avery Habas. He's a transfer right. from Iowa Western, had 109 tackles for them last year. He's going to be playing that wolf position, 6'3", 231. He could stand up like a linebacker if they go uh, you know, 3'3", or 3'4", or he can play down. He could ex- have some real explosion and speed off the edge. Yeah, I asked uh, uh, Coach Pepper today about Hobbes, and he's really, uh, really encouraged by what he's seen out of him. He didn't really hesitate to name him the starter there at the Wolf uh, when we were talking, and he was saying, "Well, we got usually said he got multiple guys in on a position, uh, but yeah, Avery Habas is going to be a really, I think, he's got to be a standout for that group considering you know just lose a lot up front in terms of uh, Jacquez or in your front seven, Jacquez and Raheem Booth." You need some guys to really step up, and I think Hobbes is one. And also on the other side, at defensive end, Dominique Kewen. Uh He's somebody that's really kind of stepped up and filled that role that uh, Jack West Turner was expected to do. He's supposed to be uh, good size and good speed off the edge, maybe a little bit quicker in the pass rush. Uh, but you lose a lot of experience in Turner, but apparently they really like Dominique and what he has to offer So, Patrick, it's official now, 8 o'clock start, uh, CBS Sports Network. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Uh, I think it would be a little bit earlier, but they, 
CBS Sports had a WNBA game <laughs> yeah. down for 5.30, so they were kind of uh, stuck with the 8 o'clock kick. I know everybody kind of shrugged a little whenever they found out it was going to be 8 p.m. Yeah, that's kind of late for a uh, for a weeknight, but I but I guess under the circumstances, uh, just just glad they're playing. How big a challenge do you think this is going to be for the uh, school putting this on the first school to do so under all these COVID restrictions? A lot of extra pressure, I would think, Patrick. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's you know these are the two teams that are kind of stepping out there. You, you have the FCS game this weekend. I think it's Austin P in Central Arkansas. But, uh, Southern Miss South Alabama will be the first FBS game of the season, and people will be watching uh, to see how they handle things, how they kind of go about the game, and, and uh, how they handle seating within the game. I mean, it's been a long time since we've seen a significant sporting event in, in the U.S. where you've had people in attendance. I know there was a NASCAR race up at uh, Bristol at one point where they had fans on hand, uh, but I think it, it was reported not long after that there was an outbreak there in Bristol. So, uh, you know, <laughs> With this, I mean, if we have 5,000 people in a, in a 36,000 seat stadium, or maybe upwards of 7,000, you would think they'd be able to have to be able to space out people and uh, uh, you know make it safe for everybody. So I think that's that's the key is just making sure people follow rules and uh, make sure people feel safe within the stadium. That's going to be really important in game one to, to encourage people to come back to games the rest of the season. Okay, we understand the band will not be on the field. The cheerleaders will not be on the field. Everyone required to wear a mask, is that correct? Yeah, everybody's got to wear a mask. Uh, I, I don't think, you know, people are encouraged to wear a mask when they're in the the stadium and seated, uh, but I don't think it's a requirement. You know, if, if you've got social distance and you're, in, you know, in a group with, say, family members, I don't think it's required but, you know, I, I'm going to be wearing my mask. I know all employees at the University of Southern Mississippi are going to be wearing masks at all times. Uh, so I, I think it would, to make sure this thing goes off with a hitch, I, I would hope everybody kind of uh, sticks with their mask while they're in, inside the stadium and really outside the stadium. So USM, and, and uh, it's hard to believe, but USM sort of setting the precedent for the whole country. There's going to be a lot of attention focused on this game uh, in the respect of how it was handled uh, via COVID, correct? Yeah, and there's going to be a lot of college football games played the rest of the way where people are not in attendance. You know, you're hearing you know, about games up, up north that are probably going to have people, nobody in attendance. It was just announced a little bit ago uh, that the East Carolina Marshall game has been pushed back because East Carolina, uh, actually it's been uh, postponed and they haven't rescheduled it yet. I think it was East Carolina had a pretty significant outbreak. Uh, so it's going to be a challenge going forward. I mean, we've seen a little bit of that in Major League Baseball. Uh, players kind of getting out of the hotel, and they've got outbreaks, and all of a sudden, you know, I think it was the Cardinals that went like almost 15, 17 days without playing right. a game. And uh, that would really mess up a season that happens during college football. But uh, hopefully everybody is able to build somewhat of a bubble. All right, Patrick, we'll probably check in with you a little earlier than normal next week uh, as we get closer to game day, and we appreciate you being on the show, man. All right, thanks, guys. Patrick McGee, everybody, the professor, always here from the Biloxi Sun-Herald. We'll be back after this. You're tuned in to the Eagle Hour. The Eagle Hour. Southern Miss to the top. 
Hey, I want to thank Professor Patrick McGee, Biloxi Sun-Herald, for joining us as he does every Thursday on the Eagle Hour. This segment sponsored by Campus Bookmart, campusbookmart.net. You've got one week to go get your new apparel before the opening of football season, and there's only one place to go. That's Campus Bookmart on Hardy Street. They're, of course, right across the street from the Southern Miss campus. If you prefer to shop online, you can go to campusbookmart.net, and you've still got plenty of time. Pick out your apparel and have delivered right to your front door. Kelly Sander will be joining us a little later in the hour, but right now we're going to continue talking about football a bit. Carter Hankins is a graduate assistant coach uh, with the Golden Eagles, and we're glad to have uh, him on the show. Carter, I know your dad's the head football coach at Purvis High School, so there's just a there's a lot of football uh, in your family. Uh, yes, sir. Um, you know, I've, I grew up in a field house, uh, so to say. Uh, when I was growing up, Dad was the uh, defensive coordinator and the head baseball coach at Forest County AHS, where I graduated from. And um, then when I graduated, he went back to his alma mater at Purvis, and uh, that's where my sister was going to school at the time. And um, I guess he was the defensive coordinator there for three or four years, and then this will be his. I guess this will be his third year as the head guy there. So he's, mm-hmm. at the Hankins house, it's nothing but ball year round. So. <laughs> now, was your dad the coach at the Forest County AHS when they won the state championship? Yes, sir. He was the defensive coordinator. That was my senior year. Oh well, you know we uh, we covered that game in Jackson. We had J.T. Williamson. Uh, a beloved member of the Super Talk family and his high school crew come do that game. And uh, I, I remember listening to that game. Very, very exciting. And uh, they did a fantastic job uh, covering the game. And I, I, I suspect that's a memory still pretty vivid in your head. Uh, no doubt. Uh, that was one of the most special moments of probably my life. And uh, for that whole school as well, you know, that was – we were the first team to make it past the third round of the playoffs that year. Um, so it was – it was very, very special. Um, it was, it was, that was a big year for us. It was a great day. I, I listened to the entire game. It was really, really exciting. And uh, so I, I know that you enjoyed it. So now how do you end up uh, now as a grad assistant coach uh, on the Golden Eagle football team? Uh, well, I, um, so I played ball at Pearl River. My freshman year, I played football and baseball down there. And uh, then my sophomore year, I decided just to play baseball. And then I've played. I've been all over the world. I went to Northwestern State uh, my junior year in Natchitoches, Louisiana, and uh, something was just itching at me to come back and play football. And you know, so I sat down with my dad, and we kind of, you know, weighed out the options and talked about it. And I knew I'd always wanted to coach, and I was just unsure if I wanted to do high school or college at the time. And um, so I kind of just said, I was like, well, I'm just going to come back to Southern and. You know, just try to get my foot in the door and, you know, hopefully end up with a graduate assistant spot at the end of the day. And that's, it worked out perfect. Um, I'm super thankful for Coach Hop for giving me the opportunity. Um, I got to play for him for two years. And, uh, you know, now I'm going into my second year as a graduate assistant. So now I've done it as a player and as a, as a graduate assistant. So I've seen both sides of everything. And it's, it's truly different on this side, but it's been fun both ways back here at home at Southern. Dreams come true, don't they, Carter? Yes, sir. No doubt about it. When you work for them, and I, 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 there's no doubt in my mind, you worked really hard uh, for the dream of yours to come true. We're very happy for you. Luke Carter Hankins on the Eagle Hour. 
Carter, thanks so much for being on today. Uh, just released uh, literally minutes ago uh, the week one depth chart. I know last year you worked with the linebackers. This year you worked with the defensive line. I just wanted to get uh, – we have a lot of uh, newbies up front for the Golden Eagles and uh, familiar faces in the linebacking core. But, man, we've talked so much uh, on this show about the offense with Jack's return, the new running backs, the new wide receivers. But just kind of wanted to uh, to allow our listeners to you to just to talk about some of these kids. Really the, the first two are uh, on the defense line, uh, Dominique Quaywan and uh, Avery Havas, and both of those guys, pretty interesting, man. Uh, both of them played really together at Iowa Western, and talk about Avery, if you would, first, uh, 6'3", 231, a lot of speed off the edge. Talk us, Tell us about those two guys on your D-line. Uh, yeah, both Avery and Dom, they can really play. Um, we, we had a great class, a uh, great signing class this year. And those two guys were kind of the main pieces in the puzzle. We knew we had to get some guys off the edge, you know, to go chase some guys down uh, in the pass rush stuff. And probably Avery and Dom, to be honest with you, probably had two of the better camps out of everybody. Um, Avery, you know, is probably going to be our wolf, and Dom's just going to be on the other side of him. going to use them in multiple ways, and, you know, hopefully they can make some plays for us. They can both run like deer. Um, so they're going to be fun to watch this year for sure. In your linebacking core, um, how big of a loss? And and you don't you can comment as much or as little on this as you want to. How big of a loss is it that Raheem Booth's not going to suit up this year? I mean, it's it's tough for us, you know. But the thing the thing with Booth was, you know, he went down towards the end of the year, and that was that was that was a huge shock um, back then too, because you know that's when we were still making some noise late in the season, you know, with a chance there to win it at the end. Um, you know, we wish the best for Booth, and we hope, you know, he gets healthy and goes on and finishes his career in a great way. Yeah. But you uh, you got Central Latham there, Swayze Bozeman, of course, a high-class high guy. I know Swayze, great dude. Uh, you get TQ Newsom, who, who is – just the prototypical linebacking size coming over from the offense. Uh, Hayes Maples watched him play in high school. He's a beast. You got a lot of depth at the linebacking position. We really do. Uh, that's that's what's so funny about TQ. The other day, I heard Coach Hop say something about the best linebackers are the guys that played quarterback in high school. Um, and you know, the more I got to thinking about it, you know, as you know, as a quarterback, you're thinking nonstop and. TQ's kind of brought that mindset to the other side of the ball, and he's done a great job. And like you said, with Maples, Maples had a really great camp, and then Santrell and uh, Swayze, uh, they both had a really good camp too. And all four of those guys are super smart, and they get our guys lined up exactly where they're supposed to be. So they're they're a big part of our defense. Carter, no, no question. This has been a different type of uh, fall camp for you guys. Uh, how difficult has it been uh, to adjust to the changes, and how the how the players responded uh, to the new way uh, camp has been uh, conducted because of the virus? I think they're still responding. You know, we've I mean, it's you know, so usually a fall camp goes about a month, and this year it was probably two weeks, and we had to um, you know, and then school started because everything kind of got pushed back a little bit. I mean, our guys handled it very well. Uh, they came to work every day, and, I mean, they, they know everything's changing nonstop. So, I mean, they we've definitely kept them on their toes, and, you know, everything has with the COVID and everything. But, like I said, they've done well 
And uh, I think everybody's just itching to get to Thursday night and get it kicked off. And, you know, everything will feel normal on Thursday once it's, mm-hmm. once we're playing. And no spring football. So how, how has that affected fall football practice? Uh, it was huge. I mean, you know, you use the spring as a time to evaluate guys that, you know, haven't played and, uh, you know, are trying to make their way up the dead chart and just get a chance. And without the spring, I mean, you've, I mean, those guys have been waiting and anticipating since January 4th, whenever the bowl game was. So, you know, you had a, you had a short time to put your product out there in fall camp. Uh, so you really had to take advantage of your opportunities. And what can you tell our listeners uh, this a week out about the opening opponent, South Alabama? Uh, they got a good squad. Uh, the quarterback's coming back. And then, you know, they had the, the transfer in from Gulf Coast. And I think he's only lost like one game in his whole career. So they've got some, they've got some good pieces, some big-time receivers. Uh, we've definitely got our hands full. We know they've got a good team coming in. So we just got to, you know, play to the best of our abilities and see what happens. And undoubtedly they'll have some Mississippi kids on that roster. They will, you know, and Coach Campbell, you know, he was the head coach at Gulf Coast, so, I mean, they definitely know us and we know them. You know, they're right down the road, so it should be a lot of fun. I wish, you know, I wish we could have a full crowd here. It'd be a, it'd be a great crowd and a great atmosphere for everybody. Right. Well, no question about that. All right, Luke, we've got about a minute left uh, with Carter. You're talking about the the Lovertish kid. Uh, I watched him play Joe Jones last year, the quarterback for uh, South Allen. Yeah, man, he doesn't. He's five eleven, one eighty five. Doesn't impose you, but all he does is win. So a Golden Eagles got to got to uh, be able to shut him down. What are what are people going to see, Carter? And since we have such an extensive South Alabama listener uh, group that listens to this show every day, don't give us don't reveal the cards. But what I'm saying is, what can people expect to see out of Tony Pecker? return uh, to head up the nasty bunch this year uh yeah i mean coach peck you know he was here a couple years ago um and i was actually on the team when coach peck was here and i mean it's the it's the same mindset you know that we're going to try and you know fly around i mean just the nasty bunch mentality so to say you know the southern miss defense of you know ever since i was a little kid you know guys just flying around having fun and trying to make plays well, Carter, we congratulate you on your position. I know you're excited. Everybody's excited about uh, seeing the Golden Eagles return to the football field. Any last-minute thoughts as you get ready uh, to coach this game next Thursday night? Uh, we're just going to go out there and, you know, hopefully have a good time and, you know, hopefully try and come out with a win and just kind of see where it goes from there. Any butterflies on your part? Oh, there's always butterflies. No question. <laughs> no question. Hey, great conversation, Carter. We appreciate it. Good luck to you and your dad. Uh, as well this fall. Yes, sir. I appreciate y'all. Thank you. All right. Carter Hankins, everybody. Graduate assistant coach for the Golden Eagles. The son of a football coach. Just a lot of football in the Hankins family. We enjoyed it. Kelly Sanders next. Southern Miss to the top. To the top. You're tuned in to the Eagle Hour. Back on a Thursday. 
Thank you for joining us on the Eagle Hour. Thanks to Carter Hankins, a graduate assistant working with the defensive line for Southern Miss football, joining us, and Patrick McGee in the first segment. Third segment of the Eagle Hour brought to you by 4th Street Bar and Grill, located on 4th Street in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, home of Trivia Night and home of the 895 Lunch every single day. We greatly appreciate Slade White and his crew sponsoring the Eagle Hour. Go by and, and eat some great lunch at 4th Street Bar and Grill. Bob and Luke from the First Bank Studios in Hattiesburg and beautiful downtown Laurel. Kelly John Sanner joins us uh, on the uh, on the phone line now. Kelly, a big day today, big announcement right before we came on air. Week one depth chart of the Golden Eagles um, released and a lot of our questions uh, concerns, uh, puzzling, where people are going to go. Some of that answered today. Carter Hankins filled us in on, on some of these kids. Um, but, but just kind of the, uh, the overview real quick. Of course, at quarterback, Jack Abraham, it's only listed two deep. Tate Watley, his backup. Running back, Don Ragsdale, uh, penciled in as, or, or, uh, bolded in as the starter. Kevin Perkins, D. Baker, Frank Gore back there. Patrick McGee told us that, uh, Frank, don't let the, the fourth on the depth chart, um, cause you to think that Frank Gore won't play. He will. Wide receivers, um, Demarcus Jones and Tavius Willis. Uh, the backup on one, Jason Brownlee, and then Marquise McCoy backing him up. And then I'll stop right here because uh, this is a kid that we have uh, shown over the last few years on Super Talk. Tim Jones obviously starting, but a true freshman, Brandon Hayes from Oak Grove High School, backing up um, Tim Jones. That's the skill players on offense. Let me mention one more. Grayson Gunner at tight end, who's the transfer from, from Arkansas. So it looks like, Kelly, that a Matt Kubik offense uh, will be a one-back with three wide receivers and a tight end. And really, Luke, if you go back to the history of the program, that that hasn't wavered a whole lot. Maybe during the Fedora uh, era, they they got away from you know from a one back set, but but pretty much even going back to Coach Bowers' days, wasn't that uh, pretty much the way that the Eagles attacked it on offense was the one back set. Yeah, and you, and you, we did have a we did have a fullback occasionally, but uh, you know, tight ends in, in Larry Fedora world, you know, really weren't that common, and and that's what's kind of been the the news in preseason camp is that the tight ends have a lot have have been utilized. Um, we were concerned about up front, uh, what, who was going to play left tackle? Trey Johnson or Kalik Washington are going to play left tackle. Bryce Foxworth. Is backed up by Takeem Doss at left guard. The center, of course, Trace Clopton. Uh, Lewis Smith, uh, a kid, I think he's from Diablerville from the coast, is, is his backup. Coker Wright at right guard. He's from Brookhaven. Hayden Sturdivant will back him up. And then this is the big news. Arvin Fletcher, a guy who has been a tremendous offensive lineman. He's been moved from a guard position to right tackle. Uh, Jaquan Scott backing him up at right tackle. Kelly, um, so important, I guess, and what we've been hearing about the offensive line is how how this could be the, one of the most veteran groups, and it's been weird because that hadn't been the case the last two years. No, it wasn't, and every time people wanted to, and, and you hate to use the term lay blame, but let's just say when people looked at the Southern Miss, uh, what they perceived to be a weakness on the Golden Eagle team, it was the lack of experience on the offensive line and the depth of the offensive on the offensive line. But going back to the the, the point of the tight ends, I think you're seeing, I, I think you're seeing an evolution in football at all levels that are, that are, is bringing the, the tight end more into vogue. I mean, when you look at <clears throat> Travis Kelsey of, of the Chiefs and George Kittle of the 49ers, you're seeing when tight ends are good. I mean, when you've got a really good tight end, 
and you utilize them properly, they can be really a force to deal with um, offensively. And Kittle and Kelsey both have just just recently signed the two biggest tight end contracts in NFL history. So I think you're seeing an evolution there, which is bringing bringing the tight end more back to a you know to a, a position of prominence. All right. All right, Kelly, let's uh, move on to a big picture of the whole, the whole league. Uh, you got some news you're going to break to our listeners uh, regarding a pretty big conference USA football game that has now been canceled. Yeah, and, and with the Southern Miss tied to it, former Southern Miss athletic director John Gilbert, who, of course, left Southern Miss to go to East Carolina, they announced about a half an hour ago they have had a COVID outbreak on the campus at East Carolina. So the Pirates game with Marshall, uh, from Conference USA that was scheduled for September 12th. There's a significance behind that date, but it won't matter now because that game has been canceled. East Carolina canceling some of its football games because of the COVID outbreak, including that September 12th matchup with Marshall. And uh, there's quite a bit of history behind uh, what that game was going to mean, Luke Johnson. Yeah, that's the actually the this is the fiftieth year of the the big Marshall uh, plane crash that you know almost ended their football program forever. Such tragic, and we are Marshall the movie made after it. Marshall left Greenville that night, got on a plane, and uh, were flying back uh, you know to West Virginia, and and the crash happened. That's unfortunate. That game was actually in the week zero. It was going to be this weekend. And then they pushed it back to September twelfth. So man, that's that's emotional uh, because you had so much going on, and you, it was a time for people to be to go back and remember. And unfortunate, that's not going to happen. Yeah, put that in perspective, guy. Can you imagine that the three of us, or Kelly and I, and Luke lives very near Hattiesburg, so we live in a college town, Kelly Center. It's just hard to imagine the impact that would have on a community to to hear the news that the airplanes. Carrying your football team, your coaches, the staffs, all the people that all the people that we know associated with Southern Miss football had been killed in an airplane crash. It's just really hard to put your your hands around something like that. Although Bob, uh, you know, I can relate to it somewhat, and I know people, you know, are thinking, "Oh, where's it going with this?" But my first TV job was back in Midland, Odessa, Texas, uh, in in '83, back when all the you know. Permian Mojo Friday Night Light stuff was going on, but my very first day on the job, they wanted me to go cover with with five or six other people from the TV station because they were they were airing the game on on local TV that night. They wanted me to fly to Wichita Falls, Texas, to to um, you know I had just I mean I had just arrived in Odessa, and they said you have to see what high school football in Texas is all about. So I was going to fly with them to that game just you know just to see. Um, I got to, I got to the airport halfway up the, the little walkway to the to the private plane, and I said, you know what, you guys, I got the cable people coming tomorrow. I got the telephone people coming. I'll, I'll just listen to it on the radio. I'm going to stay here. And lo and behold, you know where I'm going? Uh, just after midnight on their way home, that plane crashed mm-hmm. and killed all seven aboard, um, who were all members of the the staff at KOSA TV, and in fact. It was uh, the day after Thanksgiving, Brent Musburger was doing the Army-Navy game and said on, on TV, you know, we send our condolences to this, the entire sports staff at KOSA-TV was killed in a plane crash last night. Well, all of my friends and people that I knew back from Iowa, you know, were calling my, my mom and dad thinking I was on that plane, and I almost was. 
Yeah, it's so. it's a terrible tragedy. And I tell you, if you haven't seen that movie about the kids at Marshall, it's certainly worth watching. But uh, Luke's right that that would have been a very significant day, and uh, it's it's sad to uh, to think that that won't happen. Boy, what what a tragedy! And you know, it's, isn't it a miracle when you think about? I bet Luke Johnson just lost count of the times he flew places with football teams. You and I did the same thing as sports reporters. How many times that happens every week in this country? And to think it's really only been one tragedy, pretty remarkable. Yeah, statistically, uh, plane flight is still the, the safest way to go. Um, it, it doesn't mean that I, that I personally don't have any irrational fear of flying, which I do. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's, it's statistically you know, the safest way to go. Uh, with with that game being canceled on September 12th, it will give John Gilbert some additional time to fill out some more resumes and get them out on Monster.com. <laughs> so. Now, Kelly, did you ever see the old uh, Did you ever see the old Twilight Zone with William Shatner when he was on the airplane and the little gremlin was out on the wing? Or was it John Lithgow? Well, John Lithgow did the the, the new one. Yeah, okay, well, they, the, the original one was uh, yeah. William Shatner. That kind of reminds me of, of hearing you describe your fear of airplanes to me. You're you're looking out the window, and nobody sees the little gremlin pulling the cover off the engine except you. Is that pretty accurate? I, I just, when I got into and it didn't start until about six years ago, but I got in a, in a thunderstorm, uh, regular flight from New Orleans to Boston, you know, one of those pop-up four o'clock thunderstorms. And the plane got bounced around. Nobody else on the plane seemed to be bothered by it by all, at all. But my heart was like bouncing, coming through my chest. Turned out to be a full-blown panic attack, which I'd never had one before. So I thought I was having a heart attack. But man, oh man, I just... I'm laughing hmm. with you, Kelly. I'm not laughing at you. No, I, I would never laugh at you, Kelly. You know it's that. It's okay. And I tell people, I said, look, I'm not afraid of flying. Specifically, I'm crashing. afraid of crashing. Yeah, yeah, that's... Yeah, I had a guy. I had a guy working on a, a, a radio tower of mine one time, and the engineer standing down below me, the guy that owned the company, and I said, "Man, that really looks dangerous up there." He goes, "No, it's not a problem climbing the tower. It's just when they fall." So I guess it's, I guess it's kind of the same thing, right, Kelly? Yeah, and, pe- and people always brush it off by saying, "Well, if it's your time, it's your time." I said, "Well, what if it's not my time, but it's the pilot's time?" <laughs> you know. <laughs> You know, I don't want to be collateral damage if I don't have to be. And the AD has more time to send out resumes. That's Kelly Santer, and we will post his phone number and address on the Eagle Hour Facebook page after the show. His stint at Southern Miss wasn't exactly a very long tenure, you'll recall. We'll be back. Southern Miss to the top. Last segment of the Eagle Hour brought to you every day by Toyota of Hattiesburg, located on Highway 98 in Hattiesburg and online, toyotahattiesburg.com. If you're thinking of making a new automobile purchase or a certified or pre-owned purchase, let Toyota of Hattiesburg help you in that. Great inventory, great staff, and we appreciate their sponsorship of the Eagle 
hour. Luke and Bob from the First Bank Studios in Laurel and Hattiesburg also want to tell you about D-Bat and D-1 training. Great new facilities in Hattiesburg. Uh, on the D-Bat side, they can help uh, your kids in baseball and softball training with minor league baseball being canceled this year. A lot of their instructors are minor league players and are, are in Hattiesburg available to train your kids. Same thing on the softball side. Great instructors on the uh, D1 training side. You hadn't been trained unless you've been D1 trained and uh, let them help you get into uh, the best shape of your life. Stop by there and and just check out the facilities. They will win you over and uh, we're so thankful for D-Bat and D1 training being part of the Eagle Hour. We continue with uh, Kelly John Sander. Kelly, uh, we we got into that depth chart and then talked some more stuff. I know you got uh, several more news items uh, to cover before we call it a day. Well, the high school, you know, more and more athletic directors are. T- they were they were waiting for an announcement yesterday from Governor Tate Reeves as to how he was going to amend the ticket distribution for high schools. That announcement did not come. So they don't know now if he will further amend the attendance. The way it is now, each uh, participant for the home and away football teams will be allotted two tickets for whomever they choose to be able to come to the games. But more and more athletic directors are at the high school level are speaking up, saying that's not even that's not even enough people to cover our expenses. And you really have to to pity the plight of the, of these smaller schools, the one A, two A, and three A schools. You know, 6A, you've got bigger roster sizes. They're playing bigger schools usually, which means there will be more people there, which means more people to access concession stands, more ticket sales. Uh, but the smaller schools with smaller rosters, they have the same amount of bills, so to speak, as the 6A schools. They all have to pay the referees, the timekeepers, uh, security personnel, emergency personnel. So whether you're a 1A or a 6A school, you, you still have that payroll to meet for each game, but the smaller classification of schools have to pay all those people with fewer people in the stands. So it's going to really be a financial hardship for the, particularly the 1A, 2A, and 3A schools. And we mentioned Forest High School uh, just north of Southern Miss uh, in Eatonville, and they dropped football altogether this past week. COVID was an initial concern. But now they filled in some blanks and said there just aren't enough kids playing. They were they were down to like 13 kids on on the roster. So North Forest has has dropped football completely, and and I just think I think the whole horizon of of football with soccer becoming more popular and and you know the commitment that it takes to play football, it just seems, and and I'm probably painting with a broad brush here, but it just seems like fewer and fewer kids are willing to make that sacrifice. Um, to play the game of football. Your thoughts? Well, I think you're probably right. And uh, I, I think it's unfortunate. And, and I think, guys, and Luke, you chime in here, I don't think we've seen the last cancellations of the season with high schools. I think it's 50-50 that schools like USM are going to get to do the entire season without interruptions. I just, I don't know, guys. I, I, I just think it's going to be hit and miss from here through November. And if that's the case, Bob, and I and I do want you want to get Luke spin, but if that's the case, would it have been worth it at all? And I'm not I'm not saying know. it would or it wouldn't. I just I was sort of an advocate of just trying to uh, just trying to let this thing get under control, and then reorganizing and come back after the first of the year. But clearly, I was, my thinking was in the minority. I think that you are better off with your fan base. 
and with your athletes and with just your community that you operate in if you try. I think you're in a better standing if you try. Even if you have to cancel it at you know next Wednesday because of whatever reason, you can honestly look at your people and say, we didn't overreact. We didn't just try to live in an uber-safe bubble, safe zone, and we didn't try. And I think that's far more forgivable in people's eyes than, well, y'all just freaked out and canceled it. Because I feel like that's what's happening in uh, maybe not the Pac-12, but because we know the ideology of the West Coast. But there's a lot of, of Big Ten communities. We saw this with the, the letters they wrote you know, to the, uh, the presidents and the athletic directors. A lot of people just felt like they gave up on them. And I feel like where we are, Bob, that people, if specifically with Southern Miss, people could look at Jeremy McLean. They can say, "Thanks for trying." Could be. Uh, we're going to have yeah. high, we're going to have high school football tomorrow night, right? Right here on the Hattiesburg radio station. And so, uh, you know, good, bad, and different. We're, we're moving forward. And, and Kelly, I, I think Luke does have a point to a degree. A hundred percent. Yeah. And and there's a lot of people that are upset with whoever made that decision in the Big Ten. And what's funny now is that nobody in the Big Ten front office wants to admit who made that decision. Right. You know, no, Nobody's really taking responsibility. The Big Ten is now talking about maybe starting football in the winter months in January at a play, at neutral sites that have domes. For example, you know, the RCA dome in Indianapolis could house places. Minneapolis has a dome. The old, you know, hum, Humphrey Dome could, could be accessed. Um, so who knows? We'll continue the conversation tomorrow, guys, 1 o'clock, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Until then, Southern Miss. To the top. To the top. Into the future. Talk Mississippi Media Production.